Researchers have discovered that goldfish are not as dumb as people make them out to be. They can be taught to do tricks like swimming um, and uh, swimming in a particular way through a tube, not just swimming through it, just swimming, but swimming through a tube to go a particular way or going under a limbo bar in their fish tank, moving through a maze or more recently a fish, doesn't look like the video is working, oh it is, yep, there you go, um, a fish has been taught to even operate a car and based on where they swim and the direction that they swim will vary which direction the car goes and so they can actually steer a car around inside a building. Goldfish can hear but have you ever wondered what a goldfish thinks? how it communicates, and how would you communicate with a goldfish as well? I guess if you ever really wanted to communicate with a goldfish, you would possibly need to become a goldfish, to swim in its water, to help understand its world and to be able to communicate to it and to hear it communicate back to you, to discover what you and it really want to say to one another. Today, we're going to be reminded about the lengths that God went to to communicate his love for us. Let me pray. Jesus, as we spend time in your word and as we discover afresh the truths that you have for us today, Lord, would you use this time for your glory? Would you brood amongst us, would you be a part of this time and help us to know your love in a very special way. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's long been a cinematic challenge of how to create stories about communicating across life forms, where, whether it be movies like Contact, The Emperor's New Groove or the 1959 classic the shaggy dog, all deal with the challenge of communicating from one life form to another. The creator of the universe once had a perfect relationship with us, with his creation, only to have sin corrode it until it, the relationship became a, a shell of its former self. The God of the universe didn't just leave it to humans to strive and to struggle and somehow reach some level of higher existence to commune with God. No, a remarkable thing took place some 2,000 years ago as God um, did the unheard of and took on flesh and blood. But with the permission of Mary, a young virgin girl, God entered Mary's womb and after nine months, God was born fully human and fully God. We refer to this as the incarnation. Often churches will speak about following Jesus' ministry and, and, and what it means to follow Jesus' ministry. But what does it mean to follow Jesus' incarnation? To quote Nicodemus, and speaking for myself, not the spring chickens that are before me this morning, but can a man who is old be born again? So what does it mean to be incarnational today? Well, for Northern, 
uh, as we've reflected on incarnational living and ministry, this is where we've kind of landed. We are committed to entering into broken and hurting situations and stories of life in order to bring God's good news of hope and help. Now, to understand this commitment, it's helpful to revisit what it means for the Son of God to be incarnated, to take on flesh and blood and to become fully human. Or as Eugene Peterson in the Message Version of John 1.14 puts it beautifully, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. Using John 1, 1 to 14, which Amy read earlier, let's draw on that as a foundation as we read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, and then we'll do a quick swing past 1 Corinthians 9 as we look at the application for us today. And while this is a commitment that Northern we are making, before, that we believe God is calling us as a church family to make, I also believe that this is something that's close to God's heart wherever God finds us today. In uh, Philippians 2, we discover Paul's challenge. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So here Paul calls on the example of Jesus' incarnation to encourage followers of Jesus to, uh, to positively outwork the good news in their community. Does that kind of sound familiar? The first significant example set by Jesus is that of posture. In verses 7 and 8, we read that he gave up his privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He humbled himself in obedience to God. Jesus is not puffed up. Interestingly, the term that Jesus most uses to describe himself is son of man. It's a statement about his humility. It's a way he defined himself. Jesus, in his interactions with the average person, is never paternalistic. Absolutely, he gives the religious establishment a serve from time to time because of the way that they were hurting rather than helping people. But in his concern for those that were broken, those that were hurting, 
we see that Jesus takes the humble position of a servant or a slave. We see this powerfully demonstrated as Jesus washes the disciples' feet. The next we see is proximity. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Many religions speak about reaching up to God, somehow uh, reaching this nirvana or higher level of consciousness. But Christianity is different. Knowing the gulf that sin had created through its brokenness of creation, the Son of God, as Peterson puts it, moved into the neighbourhood. Jesus, fully God and fully man, walks the roads of Israel, attends the synagogue and gets taught Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. He learns a trade. To many... Jesus is just the good man next door. You doing okay, Joe? Yep, I cry. The God of creation, the narrator of the story of redemption, came into proximity with people through the incarnation. As Jesus, the Son of God, entered into the story of humanity, but he also engages with other people and their stories as well. The woman at the well, the demon-possessed boy foaming at the mouth or being thrown into the fire or water, the widow who lost her only son. We are told time and time again by the writers of the Gospels about Jesus entering into people's stories, sees their pain, the desperation on their faces. He celebrates at weddings and festivals and feasts. Jesus also just didn't send a sympathy card, but had deep, visceral empathy and compassion for others. It's interesting that the word compassion comes from the Latin, which means com, which means with, to be with someone, and passion, which actually means suffering. Luke 7, 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. In Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was also prepared to be vulnerable. Not just physical, physically tired, but experienced painful times of hunger and thirst. But he also made himself vulnerable through breaches of trust, betrayal, the grief of losing loved ones. Well before the cross, Jesus knew what it meant to be hurt by others. But Jesus also had boundaries. It's wrong to think that Jesus was just some sort of a pushover. He stood up to, for people and he stood up to people who would try to bully himself and others. He didn't just pander to people's demands. When people wanted Jesus to dance to a particular tune, he was prepared to say no. 
In Mark 1, Jesus went to other towns when there was pressure for him to stay where he was. His brothers mockingly tried to pressure Jesus in John chapter 7 to go somewhere and to do something. And in John 10, Jesus declares that he chooses when he will lay his life down and when he will take it up again. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23 in the message. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralised, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life, I kept my bearings on Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I became just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did it because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Paul is not talking about being fickle or inconsistent in who he is, but he's committed to entering into broken and hurting situations and stories of life in order to bring God's good news of hope and help. He's clear on his purpose. He's, he has a plan and stays true to his values. And if you want to hear a bit more about me talking on this, then if you have a look at the, um, the podcast from the 29th of July 2018, I speak on this passage a little more. So how does this affect us today? Today we affirm that we are and we remain committed to entering into broken and hurting situations and stories of life in order to bring God's good news of hope and help. It means that we change our posture. We're prepared to humble ourselves, to, to consider that um, we're not too good to serve the community. We're prepared to enter into difficult situations and challenging circumstances of life, to do the dirty work at times that others would turn their nose up at, to have love and concern for others. We don't just tell people how to solve their problems, but we serve them, we empower them, and we help to see them explore a path going forward for them. Just because we know Jesus doesn't mean we always know what's better. Because we have our identity secure in our relationship with Jesus, we're able to take on significant and often overlooked roles in life as we seek to serve others. Our value and identity is not based on a title or a pay slip 
or where we live. Our identity is based on our relationship with Jesus. This encourages us to move from a paternalistic approach that we know what's best for others sort of attitude to a foot-washing posture motivated by love. Proximity. In a recent survey by Slack, it showed that 12% of people uh, want to return to the office full-time, while another 13% want to work from home full-time. Meanwhile, 72% want hybrid working or the opportunity to do both. But as we see through the example of Jesus, when it comes to a church caring for the community and building a rich relationship uh, to to see the community become a life-giving community, this can't be done remotely, working from home. We need to be in the community. We need to be embedded in the community and serving the community. So as a church family, we need to be prepared to immerse ourselves in the community in which God has placed us and where he sends us. And this isn't just about running more programs. Sometimes it can be about representing Jesus in joining programs that are already up and running and combine our interests and opportunities with the intent to be caring representatives of Jesus and his good news in that space. When there's the, um, when there is an ease of sticking with the rhythms of, of the least um, resistance over the last two years and going down that path of ease, we need to be intentional in stepping out of our comfort zones and being connected with others, not just in the small talk, but entering into life-changing conversations with others as well. We get to know their story. The good news is not just about trying to get the four spiritual laws in front of someone or the two ways to live or to say to someone, do you know what it means to, um, to have a relationship with Jesus when you don't really know who the person is to whom you're talking? As the saying goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care about who you know until they know you care. And until people know that that we care about them, that we're entering into their story and getting to know them, then it makes it really, really hard for us to share our story of our relationship with Jesus. One of the most important ways that we can do that is to sit, to spend time listening to and hearing other people's story. This isn't an interrogation. I've been told by the pastor I need to do this and once I've done that, then I can start preaching the gospel to them. It's not about that. But it's about getting to know them. And from my experience, when we listen to people's stories, we will often find God's fingerprints in their life. Often our role is to help them to discover where God's been at work in their life already before we even met them. Engaging in the gospel story involves you. You're the person that um, you're spending time with this other person. So there's you, there's this other person, and you get to know each other's stories. And you get to share life with each other. 
But as you share life between the two of you, they also discover that you have a relationship with God. And so you get to talk about the impact of your relationship with God. And then you look at ways to help them to connect and see their relationship with God. Perhaps it's ways that God has been involved in their life already. You know, when you tell me this story about your life, I think that's God at work in you. I think that's God doing something in your life. Do you, do you think that could be the case? And then you explore what it means to have that relationship with God. They don't have that relationship with God through you. They need to develop that relationship with God directly with God. And we also need to do this with compassion. Being prepared to sit with people in the tough times. To serve them and to listen to their hearts cry. To hear other people's perspectives and to tolerate them and their opposing views that you might strongly disagree with. It's not because they share the same political views as you that they are worthy of God's love. They are image bearers of creator God. Prepared to, and we need to be prepared to enter into their world to see their world through their eyes. And we also need to be prepared to be vulnerable like Jesus was. Often we can either graduate, uh, graduate, uh, gravitate towards one extreme or the other. We can either have this one extreme of we're a, we're a tight ship, you know, we, we, we don't talk about um, anything in our life, we don't share our personal struggles, um, we, we don't talk about what's going on for us. And, and so people don't get to know us and our vulnerabilities and the tough things that we face. Or we go to the other extreme and as soon as someone says hello to us, we say, oh, well, what a day I've had. You know, you wouldn't believe all that's been going on for me. And we turn people off by just vomiting on them all the stuff that's going on in our life. We need to find a balance that when we hear other people's stories, we don't respond by saying, oh, I know exactly how you feel. I, you know, and it's not a competition, but it's about hearing their story and say, wow, you know, when I hear that story from you, it reminds me of a time that I experienced something and, and this is what I... And you explain a little bit about what I experienced. And this is something that really helped me in my times, in my challenges, in my struggles. And hopefully, they will take something from that. One of the most significant things that um, these responses of uh, posture, proximity, story, compassion and vulnerability influence in us is how we pray. The best, the most powerful, the most beautiful prayers that we can offer in intercessory prayers are those that come from the inside out, not from the outside in. Intercessory prayer does not come from the point of view of lecturing people, of Bible bashing them. It's not a veiled opportunity to tell other people how to live or behave. A good intercessory prayer enters into their narrative. It's informed by their cries of their heart and it's moved by compassion and is fueled by a trust and a hope that God is good news in their situation. 
How can God's good news be manifest in this situation? How can we pray for that? How would they want to be prayed for? What is, what's the answer that they're looking for? And how can I pray for them in that? And what's God's heart in this situation? What would an answer to our prayer look like in this circumstance? We're committed to entering into broken and hurting situations and stories of life in order to bring God's good news of hope and help. And we do this like Jesus with appropriate boundaries. It's okay to say no. If you say yes to everyone and everything, then it's going to get watered down and you're going to get burnt out. As a church, we will say no to some good ideas because we want to make sure that we're doing what is best, what God wants us to do. You see, the good can so easily become the enemy of the best. I've mentioned before about not having to, to jump up and answer the phone while you're in the middle of dinner just because it rings. You know, it's okay to have boundaries. Appropriate boundaries that are fair and reasonable empower your yeses. They enable you to care for people, to support people, to invest in people's lives and even um, have a break from people like Jesus did when he needed it. Jesus modelled this and it's appropriate for us to have good boundaries in ministry as well. You know, we may not have to become a goldfish. Still, God does call us to be incarnational and to be committed to entering into the world around us, into hurting and broken situations and stories of life in order to bring God's good news of hope and help. After all, isn't that what Jesus did? Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for your example that even though you were God, you were prepared to put those things aside and become fully human to, to learn how to walk, to talk, to be submissive to parents, to engage with the community and the rhythms of life. You embedded yourself in the community. And as a result of that, you were able to minister to them as you heard their stories. Lord, even today you call us to follow you with a heart to be engaged with the community around us. Help us to do that well as we seek to honour you and to be good news, to share good news, to bring hope, to share hope in all that we say and do. Amen. So, how might we respond today? Well, there's a couple of questions that I've got on the screen for us to consider. When you consider this commitment, what are you attracted to? And, and what do you want to try and shy away from as a result? And what's God saying to you in that? How do you commit this response to God in prayer? How can you be more intentional in your engagement with the church family and also with the local community? And how does the good news of Jesus bring you hope? 
As the music's played, I encourage you to pull up those response cards or for those at home. There's the text message, the email, and also the chat function that you can use as well. But let, let's respond to what things, what, what God is saying to us today. God bless you. <laughs>